0: Hey there, thanks for tuning in to the St. Oswald's Haberfield Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Sydney's inner west, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope, and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church.
1: The same day, some Sadducees came to him, saying, There is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies childless, his brother shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now, there are seven brothers among us. The first married and died childless, leaving the widow to his brother. The second did the same. So also the third, down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman herself died. In the resurrection, then, whose wife of the seven will she be? for all of them had married her. Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is God, not of the living, not of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard this, they were astounded at his teaching.
0: My son Jasper turned five this week, and uh, it prompted a little bit of reflection from me, a little bit of introspection, uh, both about the fact that we'd, um, I've now been a parent for half a decade, which just seems hard to believe, and also for more than a quarter of his life before he becomes an adult. But beyond that, um, it also prompted a little bit of uh, reflection because my grandfather, Jasper's great-grandfather, who's 88, he said something to Jasper when they came over for a little party with the family. He said, I remember being five. 88. And that made me think about my own life and I realized I remember being five too. And one of the things I remember most strongly about being five was when I was five, that was one of the first times our family moved house. We'd actually moved house when I was one as well, but I didn't remember that one. This was the first time I was conscious of, and we were moving far enough away that I was going to have to say goodbye to friends, other friends that I'd made at preschool and at church and people that I was anticipating going to school with, people that, because I had no other kids, I had no sort of mental map for this, I just imagined would be in my life forever. And my parents tried to help me see that I'd make new friends and there'd be good things about a new house and a new area and all of those sorts of things, but it was just unknown to me and unfamiliar. Maybe you've had an experience like this. I couldn't imagine it. And what I was leaving seemed like it was so much real and important, more real and important. How do you imagine the unimaginable? That's one of the questions that stands behind in the background of this interaction between Jesus and some Sadducees in the last days before his death. How do you make sense of life after death? Is there a life beyond this time and space lifespan? And if there is an afterlife, what will it be like? Conversations about the afterlife seem a little bit weird in a post- Christian secular contexts like ours. You read anything in the public sphere, and it seems like the secular world around us scoffs at Christian beliefs about resurrection and the new creation. That said, research tells us that Aussies are more open to the idea of life after death than we probably imagine. One study conducted Just a couple of years ago, by McCrindle with the Centre for Public Christianity showed that 59% of Australians still believe in life after death, and amongst young people aged 18 to 26, the group you might expect to be least open to the idea, 48% of people stated they believed in life after death, and another 28% were open to the possibility. Of course, if you press people on what that life after death might look like, most have zero idea. It's like there's a door and behind it stands the secrets to life after death but it's inaccessible to us. We can't open it, we can't access it. It remains forever out of reach, it's like trying to imagine the unimaginable. But Jesus, in this passage, shows us what's on the other side of the door. And what He shows us is profound and a little bit confusing but ultimately incredibly beautiful. And so, we're going to open it up this morning and we're going to look at the question that Jesus is asked and His answer in two parts, the argument from the Scriptures and the reality of God's power. So, firstly, the question. It's the same day, if you've been with us the last few weeks here at church, that Jesus has been asked some other questions by those who want to put Him to the test. The Pharisees and the Herodians, they'd been with Him earlier that morning, and they'd asked Him a question about whether it was right to pay the poll tax to Caesar. And Jesus has answered, and they'd gone away with their tail between their legs, and now some Sadducees had come to ask Him a different kind of question and the Sadducees, they were a politically powerful group. Most of the temple leadership in Jerusalem belonged to the Sadducees. They were the keep things as they are group within Judaism, the kind of people who said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, even though things were 100% broke. And the reason that they didn't want to change things was because they had power in the status quo it worked for them. And we all know that when the system serves somebody, they tend not to think that the system needs changing. But what this means is the Sadducees, it's just good to know this, were quite different from the Pharisees that we hear a lot more about in our Gospels. The Pharisees were what you might call the conservative moralists. They appealed to ordinary Jews and they had more influence outside Jerusalem than they did inside Jerusalem. And most of the ministry that Jesus has been doing, He's done outside of Jerusalem, in the region of Galilee, which is why most of the arguments that He's had in the Gospel have been with Pharisees, not with Sadducees. The Sadducees, they were the liberal relativists. They actually only took as authority of the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the Mosaic law. They had a more stripped-back, ethical version of the faith. They were sceptical about the supernatural, sceptical about the prophets, sceptical about the Kingdom of God, if what the Kingdom of God meant was change. Change. And they were skeptical about the resurrection. In fact, they were not just skeptical, they outright denied it. Verse 23, the same day, some Sadducees came to him saying, there is no resurrection. They wanted to discredit the doctrine of the resurrection because the resurrection means change. It means that the status quo is not going to always be the way that it is. And if the Pharisees, they saw Jesus as a threat because he wasn't conservative enough on some of these ceremonial and purity issues, he ate with tax collectors and prostitutes and he healed on the Sabbath and he rebuked the Pharisees for a hollowed out religiosity that missed the heart of God, then the Sadducees, they saw Jesus as a threat because he wasn't progressive enough. He talked constantly about the kingdom of God. He was a miracle worker. He wasn't from an aristocratic priestly family. And so they come to put him to the test. And they say, teacher, Moses said that if a man dies childless, his brother shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. That seems strange to ask, but this is something called leveret marriage in ancient patriarchal societies, it was pretty common and pretty important. If a woman married and her husband died before they had children, she was in a really tough situation. She couldn't just go out and get a job. She didn't have children to look after her. She wouldn't be seen as an attractive prospect for another young man to marry. And so to protect women and also to continue the family line of the dead husband, there was a law that meant that the man's brother was to take her in as a wife or else he would be publicly put to shame. And that's the context of what's going on here and allows them to pose this messy situation where they say, verse 25, there were seven brothers. The first one marries and dies childless, leaving the widow to his brother. The second did the same and so also the third all the way down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman herself died. Now, something is kind of messed up with this family. The men keep getting themselves killed. Someone should have told them to stop working with heavy machinery. Their family just isn't cut out for the risk. But the truth is, it's a hypothetical situation. It's a big like when people ask, could God create a rock so heavy He couldn't lift it? It's designed to try and show that the idea of resurrection is absurd. They're not interested in the woman's well-being or even the right application of the law. The real thing they're trying to prove is that the resurrection is illogical. Which is why they ask, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For all of them had married her. And the problem is, if Jesus picks one, if he says, well, she belongs to the first or she belongs to the last, it'll be an arbitrary choice. He'll be saying that the other marriages weren't really binding. But if he says she'll be married to all seven, he'll contradict the law's teaching against polygamy. And so the Sadducees are like, got him. How do you like that one, Jesus? Show us how resurrection makes sense now. And Jesus answers with a stern rebuke. You're wrong, he says. There's no, I mean, often Jesus says, he asks a question, right? He says, let me answer your question with another question. And and sometimes he's even patient with the people who are putting him to the test, but here there's no real patience for their misunderstanding. He says, you're in error. And the reason is twofold. He says, first, you don't know the Scriptures, and second, you don't know the power of God. And so we're going to unpack them, the, the answer in two parts, and see what Jesus says about each of these. Firstly, the argument from Scripture in verse 31, 32, he shows them how Scripture teaches resurrection. But the thing that's so interesting is that he doesn't go to, say, Daniel 12, which is a really obvious passage in the Old Testament about resurrection. and He doesn't go to Isaiah 26, which is another passage that seemed to be pointing forward to resurrection. He goes to Exodus chapter 3. He goes to a passage that no one would have thought to have gone to, a passage from the Pentateuch, from these first five books the ones that the Sadducees viewed as authoritative. And just right there is a beautiful moment of Jesus arguing on their terms. He says, you want to talk about Moses? Okay, let's talk about Moses. Remember that moment when God appears to Moses out of a burning bush? Remember when He tells him to go to Egypt and to lead the Israelites out of slavery so that they can worship God freely? Who does he reveal himself to be? He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And here's the point, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been dead for hundreds of years. But God doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham. The God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He says, I am their God. It's present tense. He speaks about his covenant relationship with them in the present tense. And it's not the only radical thing about them. He identifies himself to Moses and the Israelites by his relationship to their forefathers. You don't just do that of anybody. It's a relationship of intimacy. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, they could say, he's my God. And God could say of them, my people. At one point when she was younger, Sophia Moffat, here at church, she used to call me Jasper's daddy. And Matt and Allison would say to her sometimes, what's his name, Sophia? Because her tendency was to identify me through the relationship that she had with my son, and what God's saying here is, I don't have a problem with being known as Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. He's absolutely content with that. And here's why that matters, because when God decides to enter that kind of closeness and intimacy of relationship, when He loves a person like that, Well, that kind of relationship can never go into the past tense. He says, I am the God of Abraham. I set my covenant love upon him. I made promises to him, and I intend to fulfill them. Now, think about it this way if you love somebody, the last thing that you want to do is to talk about that relationship as if it's in the past tense. I had a friend. I had a daughter, I had a spouse. You want to be able to talk about in the present tense. I have a friend, I have a daughter, I have a spouse. And because we're human and we're limited, we can't stop those relationships going into the past tense at some point. And if it's not them, it'll be us going into the past tense. But what about God? God is the all-powerful creator, the one who makes covenants and who honors His covenants, and He won't let death get in the way of His love. He won't let death prevent Him from fulfilling His promise. Do you see the implications? What Jesus is saying is that the resurrection is the necessary outworking of God's character and of His promises. It's not just an argument based on grammatical grounds. It's an argument based on the character and power of God. He's the God of the living, not the God of the dead. And so Abraham and Isaac and Jacob must be alive to God, even though they have died, because the fulfillment of his promises is for them too, and not only for their descendants. And if they're still alive, if God cannot be God of the dead, then the resurrection isn't fanciful, it's the obvious implication. And one day, the implication of all of this is God will raise Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all those whom God has set His love so that His covenant promises towards us will not be thwarted by death. If you belong to God, if your trust and your hope is in Him, He won't let His relationship with you go into the past tense either. Isn't that an incredible truth? The love of God sustains you, it makes you last, even beyond suffering, even beyond death, because God is the God of the living. And in Christ, and in His death and resurrection, He has set His love upon you and me in a way that ensures that death will not be the end. He's the God of the living. Well, that's the argument from Scripture, but Jesus has another thing to say to silence the Sadducees, and this one relates to the power of God to do something new. And here we turn to verse 30 where Jesus speaks about marriage in the resurrection. See, the Sadducees, they've tried to make Jesus' belief in the resurrection foolish by posing this absurd hypothetical situation. But Jesus says, don't you realize? In the marriage, they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven Now, how does that sound to you? This is Jesus talking and He's saying that there won't be marrying in heaven. It sounds like He's saying we'll all just be friends. And maybe for you that sounds like a welcome relief. But I'm guessing for many of us it doesn't fill up our heaven expectation tanks all that high. So, what's Jesus getting at here? What point is He making? because what Jesus is promising can't be less good than our experience, this side of glory. And notice that he says, we'll be like angels, not that we become angels, don't get the idea in your head that we grow wings and float around, not that that's a biblically accurate picture of angels anyway. The point is that we'll be like angels in that we don't marry, and the reason we won't marry is because we won't die, and if we won't die, then we won't need to procreate. you see the logic there? There's a few steps going on. Resurrection won't mean resuscitation, just being brought back to this life where death always haunts life. No, resurrection will mean going out the other side of death into a deathless world. And angels, they don't need to procreate because they don't die. A leveret marriage law, it was instituted to cope with the fact that people die, but where there's no death, there's no need for remarriage, and there's no need for marriage to even fulfill the command to be fruitful and multiply because entry into this new creation isn't by natural birth, but by salvation, by new birth, by the Holy Spirit who makes us alive in Christ. And you say, okay, fair enough, but what about the intimacy of relationship and connection and intense love that marriage provides in its best forms? Is the experience of love less intense and satisfying in the new creation? No, I don't think so. If God is the God whose love can sustain us through death, then you can be confident that the love and intimacy of resurrection life won't be less than your experience here. The Apostle Paul writes elsewhere in the New Testament, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. In fact, the experience of love and intimacy that marriages enjoy, this side of glory, even the closeness of sexual union that it brings in a marriage, that will be like a drop compared to the ocean of intimacy that you will experience with God and one another in the resurrection. That's the promise. That's the power of God. Not less intimacy, but more. Not less closeness, but much more. Jonathan Edwards, an American preacher from the 18th century, had an incredible impact. He said this in a sermon, he said, "'To go to heaven fully, to enjoy God there, is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows.'" But the enjoyment of God is the substance. They are but scattered beams. But God is the sun. These are but drops. But God is the ocean. Good things, yes. Good things to be enjoyed, yes. But compared to the new creation, that experience will be much more See, our God is the God who saves the best wine until last. Remember that story of Jesus at the wedding of Cana? And heaven will far outstrip our earthly experience. Teresa of Avila famously said, in the light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth will seem like one night in a bad hotel. But the resurrection will outstrip not just the bad and the hard parts of life, even the good things about this life. Even the best friendships and marriages are just a foretaste of what community and relationships are like with God and with one another in the kingdom of God. And so where does all this land us? Well, here's one practical way... Let resurrection hope shape the things that you prioritize today. Marriage and children and biological family are good things in this life, gifts to be enjoyed by a loving Heavenly Father, but they're not ultimate things. And in the new creation, we will be united to one another, not sexually or biologically, but by a love that transcends them. And the church, even now, can be a point can point to that hope in a way that we re- in the way that we relate to one another and so a question to ask is who's at your table do you make room for people at church to eat with you to be at your table and if you do what kind of people do you invite are they all in the same life stage as you do their nuclear families look similar to yours Or are you inviting single people and married people and people with children and divorced people and those whose children have grown up and moved out of home? One of the concessions that we made in the makeup of our gospel communities here at St. Oswald's is to start parent-friendly groups. We've, on the whole, tried to make our GCs quite diverse in age and stage, but we've created parent-friendly, more narrow demographic groups because, well, not because we want our families just to hang out with each other, but because we wanted to make it possible for both parents to participate in the life of a GC. But one of the possible temptations of that is that you fall into the step with your people, and it means that there needs to be an intentionality, particularly around Sundays and in other contexts, to ensure that we're reflecting the spiritual family we are in Christ. And I think parents of young kids, we we have an opportunity to lead the way in this. Now maybe the reason that you're not more they have more people around your table is because literally you don't have a dining table or your apartment is too small. That's okay. There are creative ways to host and spend time with people that are outside your stage, meet someone and their kids at a park, or suggest to someone with more space that you'd love to help them with the task of cooking and hosting. Maybe one problem is you just don't have contact details for people. Ask them. Get their number. Figure out a way that you can be in touch so it doesn't have to just be a case that the only time you rub shoulders is on a Sunday morning. And we could say a lot more about this, but we're out of time. What Jesus is teaching us here is that what's about what's behind the door is that resurrection life and the intimacy of relationship with Him and with each other will be so rich that it will make even our best experiences of this world pale in comparison. And because God has set His covenant love upon you in Christ, your future is guaranteed. Your resurrection life is guaranteed. And as we relate to each other now, we have opportunities to live out something of that resurrection life in how we love and relate to one another as a community of God's people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word that you give us in the gospel of your Son, We thank you for the promise that what Jesus here teaches gives about the certainty of resurrection, not just for Jesus who goes before us, the first to rise from the dead, but for everyone who sets their hope in him. We pray, please help us to live as people who are fueled oriented around our resurrection hope let it transform and shape the decisions that we make in the day to day and let it fill us with confidence of your goodness towards us in every circumstance whether good or bad we pray it in christ's name amen